Good morning, Rabotai. We've been speaking all this week on different uh, sides of the question, which is no doubt the thematic progression of the parasha, which is the mitzvah of refraining from Lashon Hara. But Rabotai, I want to share that there are certain times in the process and in the uh, uh, progression of a situation where Lashon Hara becomes all but inevitable. And let me explain what I mean by that. You know, the idea of speaking Lashon Hara, it's something which in many cases, we don't, order, we don't kind of relate that to the, the normative way that we would think of Lashon Hara. And yet, it is so. As an example, the Hafez Chaim used to say that it's asur for a person to say Lashon Hara about themselves. You can't put yourself down to other people. Why? Simply because a person is a chelik elohami ma'al, he's a, a, a spiritual being, he's a representative of God. To put yourself down is inappropriate, even if you, it's, you're saying about yourself. So there's certain cases where a lashon hara, one might have not have thought or you know, considered that lashon hara in their, norm, in their normative thinking, but actually it's also considered lashon hara, it's evil speech. So the question is, there are times when a person is trying to influence someone for the, be- for the better, and if they're thinking about how to be able to do that, so the only way to do that is to be able to share something negative about someone. Let's say as a rabbi, I have this all the time. People come and they'll say, Rabbi, I want to, you know, this guy, I, you know, I think he's, it's not what he's doing, he's not right. And, they'll, and they want to tell me the guy's name. Or they want to tell me about something I don't know about him because it's a negative thing. It's Lashonara, straight up, Lashonara. So what are, but what are they supposed to do? Assuming... That, they, that they're trying to help the guy, assuming that their heart is real, that their heart is true. What are they supposed to do? How do you communicate to someone, to a figure of influence? Let's say as an example, there's a family, a family fight. What, you know, you want to tell your father or your mother that this is what's going on between the two brothers or sisters or between you and another sibling. Are you allowed to do so? If your intention is to be able to defuse the fight, the halakha is that there are um, ways and means with which a person is allowed to speak what would have been called Lashonara. The name of the game is To'elet. To'elet means that something is happening for a reason. The person is doing something for a positive and constructive outcome. However, this word To'elet gets bandied about almost as if it's a catch-all and a heter for any type of Lashonara. You know what I find it to be like? You ever sit with someone and the person says to you, let me be honest. And you think to yourself, what were we being before? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? So here we are, we're sitting there, the guy says, oh Rabbi, no, no, no problem, it's, no, this is toilet. Toilet is a toilet, you know, toilet. What does it mean toilet? There are many conditions. And I'll share with you just a few so we understand what this concept means. Even in the scenario where the Lashon Ra is being said for a purpose. Number one, the only thing that you're allowed to share is something that you know by yourself firsthand. Anything that you heard, or that you surmised, or that you deduced, I don't care if you're Sherlock Holmes, you're making, you're making an assumption, you're not allowed to do so. So something that you saw with your own eyes, number one, if it's for a toilet, if the point is to be able to actually fix the scenario, number one, it has to be something you know by yourself. Number two, there's no form, absolutely no form of exaggeration. You're saying only exactly what you know. So sometimes a person might say like this, I saw with my own eyes, I saw the guy with his hand in the tzedakah box. That doesn't mean he stole anything. He might have been putting money in the tzedakah box. 
But he might have been taking change from the tzedakah box. Or he might be a poor person who thought that it was okay to take tzedakah for himself from the tzedakah box. There's many scenarios that even when the guy is caught with his hand in the cookie jar, that you can kind of interpret it and you're actually filling in blanks that maybe you have no right to do. So again, what did I see? What do I know for sure? No exaggeration. There's no enjoyment whatsoever in telling the story. My favorite idea from the Hatams, from the Havetz Haim. There was once a guy who came to him and he's like, Rabbi, there are these people, they're not religious, they're doing this, they're doing that, we have to stop them, we have to have a protest, we need to be yelling, we need to be screaming. And Havetz Haim says to him, he says, you know what the difference between you and me is? The guy says, no, what's the difference? He's thinking, Havetz Haim is going to say, he says, you know what the difference is? He says, I'm a farmer. He says to the guy, he says, and you're a cat. The guy says, I'm sorry, Rabbi, I don't understand. You're a farmer, you're not a farmer. And I'm not, definitely not a cat. He says, you know, when a farmer has a problem with infestation of mice or rats, what does he do? He goes out and he gets a cat. And both the farmer and the cat are trying to get rid of the mice. What's the difference between the farmer and the cat? The farmer is actually happy when there's no more mice. The rabbi says to this man, he says, I hear you, you're in my office now telling me about this person and that person and this problem and that problem. He says, you know, I, I don't like problems. And I would be happier if there were no problems. He says, but I hear you here with such anger and with such gusto and you want to take this one down, you want to take that one down. I'm starting to think actually that you don't ever want there to be no more mice. You always want a problem. You always want to be yelling at someone. You're just a cynical person in general. Your aim here is not for the right reason, L'shem Shamayim. Your aim here is because you like yelling at people. He says, you and I are not the same. I'm a farmer and, and you're a cat. Rabotai, this idea that when a person is trying to fix or trying to help, they have to think this through. Am I, am I enjoying this process? If you're enjoying it, then it's not coming from the right place. You're just enjoying sharing some gossip. You feel bad that it's Lashon Hara, so you got yourself a heter called Toelet. That's not, that doesn't really fly. The, this last thing I always say is that, although a lot of times we say, I'm doing a little I'm trying to help, I'm trying to help, is the person you're telling it to, are they capable of helping? Like, let's say you come to a rabbi, you tell a rabbi that the guy has a drug problem. If the rabbi is not a drug counselor, if the rabbi can't help him, then really, is there any point in that? I understand that you're saying it's for the toilet, but can he fix it? If he can't fix it, then he's not the right guy. Go tell a drug counselor. Go tell the right person. And Rabotai, I'll tell you this, even in a situation of toilet, the person who's listening to the Lashon Hara has an obligation to discount it. Because if one person comes and gives testimony about something, we say the testimony doesn't count. Only only according to the testimony of two people, can something stand? So I have an obligation, if I'm listening to this Lashon Hara, to say to myself, I don't believe it. But the words of our rabbis are very interesting. It says, which means respect him and suspect him. Respect and suspect. How can you be respecting him if you're suspecting him? And the answer is, if someone comes to you and tells you the guy's a thief, you're not supposed to believe him. But don't go investing all your money with the guy now. 
Why? Because you have no obligation to invest your money with him. But at the same time, right? You know, we want to. You want to protect you. You, you don't. You don't. You're not saying the guy's a thief. So these two things are very, very important. So what can a person do if it's so difficult to say? Because there are times when there's not going to be any possible way of saying lashon, saying something without lashon or What is a person supposed to do? And I think that this is something that people often forget. As Jews, we believe in the power of tefillah. And if you look in the Amidah, you will see that almost all the Berachot, Selach, Lanu, Bare, Chenu, Rifa, Enu, not Rifa Eni, Bare Cheni, right? Not Selach Li, Selach Lanu. Everything in the Amidah pretty much is said in the plural. Because when a Jew prays, he doesn't only pray for himself, he also prays for the people that he loves, for his brothers and sisters, hopefully, the Am Yisrael is one big family and you relate to everyone that way. If you feel that there's someone in your environment that is not improving and you can't figure out a way to do it without ratting them out or causing them a, you know, a huge embarrassment, so maybe the process to be able to do is to turn to the very trusted mechanism of tefillah. In fact, our Hazal tell us that there were many times where people were held to task because they should have prayed and they did not pray. The Kohen Gadol has a very interesting halakha that relates to him. If someone by mistake kills somebody, it's different than if you killed someone by purpose. If you killed someone on purpose, then they take you to Din and they try you for murder. But what happens if there's manslaughter, accidental murder? You know, I take a rickety ladder, I climb up to the top of the building, the whole ladder is shaking the whole, the whole way. Everybody tells me, don't use the ladder, it's halfway broken. I said, no, 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 it's fine. I go up the ladder, and what happens? Of course, the ladder breaks. I fall down on this guy's head who's walking by. I kill him instantly. That's called a scenario where a person has an obligation to go to where? He goes to the Ir Miklat. When does he leave the Ir Miklat? Only when? When the Kohen Gadol dies. What's the link between the Kohen Gadol and this guy? And the answer that our rabbis give us is if the Kohen Gadol was praying the way he was supposed to for every Jew, fulfilling his own spiritual obligations to the level, then this type of thing would not have happened under his watch. Ironically, the, the Gemara tells us that while the, per, the people were stuck in the, uh, in the Ir Miklat, the mother of the Kohen Gadol would come around and she would share delicacies with everybody. She would give them kak and baklava and she'd give them all these things that she made herself in the house, lachmajin and sembusak, not on the same day. She would give them all these different things. Why? Because she was afraid that the people who were waiting for the Kohen Gadol to die in order for them to be freed, they might begin to pray for the Kohen Gadol's demise. And I thought to myself, what an interesting kind of interplay where they got there because it says, because the Kohen Gadol wasn't especially praying for them. And then what his mother needs to combat then is the fact that they're praying almost against him. Uh, because if anything teaches that message of the power of a person's prayer, even for somebody else, it's this, uh, it's this specific element. Rabotai, we have unbelievable power in our hands to use our tongues for the positive. Number one, to guard them from speaking evil. Number two, to use Lashon Atov, as we've already expressed many, many times, to compliment, to raise people up, to interpret their deeds in a positive way. But there's also this entirely other realm, the realm of a tefillah for somebody else. 
Rabbi Yisrael Salanta used to say that a person doesn't know if their prayers are going to be answered. Maybe Hashem will answer it, maybe not. Maybe he'll get what he wants, maybe he won't. We don't always know, because some things are deemed not good for us. So Hashem will say to you, not the no answer, but the answer might be no. Here, the scenario says that when a person is praying for spiritual development, there's never a prayer that goes unanswered. So if a person's praying to study Torah better, a person's praying to be able to control his Yetzirah, a person's praying to be able to not get angry, a person's praying that his children should be more strict with the halachot, should keep Shabbat, there's no such thing as a prayer like that that goes unanswered. It might go to a specific area and answer in a specific way, not exactly the way I had in mind, but there is no tefillah for spirituality that's not answered. Why? Because the whole reason why it might not answer is because it might not be good for you. But there's never a growth in spirituality that might not be good for you. It's all good for you. If that's the case, uh, Hashem is listening to our tefillot, that we have an in and an opening to be able to pray for everybody else. Rabotai, so many of our Jewish brothers and sisters have an, an opportunity to come to the Seder on, on Pesach night. But they do not. Rabbi Sachs in London used to talk all the time about the fifth son at the Seder. There's the son who's the Chacham, the Rasha, the Tam, the Who's the fifth son? The fifth son is the son that didn't even turn up. We have to pray, Rabotai, that Am Yisrael is re-engaged, is connected, feels the beauty and the connection of Torah, Mitzvot, Ma'asim, Tovim. And Be'ezrat Hashem, this will be one prayer that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will answer. We'll be zochet to be able Amen. to go with all the Am Yisrael. One more time with the coming of Mashiach Merah. We're going to say Kaddish, and after Kaddish, we have the opportunity on Fridays to hear words of Torah.